It's the Ringer NFL Show. Robert Mays here with Kevin Clark. People are always asking us what to bet on. Unfortunately, Kevin, we're brought to you by mybookie.ag, so we'd love to send people there. I don't bet on football, but I do know that whoever plays the Jets or these days the Giants is a good bet. But where you bet is just as important as what you bet on. It's all about mybookie.ag. They have live in-game betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and a sweet mobile site that makes betting super easy. If you join now, mybookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Whoever plays the Bears isn't a bad bet each week either. No, that's very true, unfortunately. I (laughs) wish that weren't, but I, I can't really argue with you at this point. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Robert, it's that time of year when we start traveling over the country last minute and we have to stress about getting a cool hotel. I was in that boat this week. And the nice part is we don't really have to stress because we're also sponsored by Hotel Tonight. They help us get great deals on rooms last minute, so it's perfect for our fly-by-night style of traveling. Sounds cool, but are they crummy rooms? No, not at all. They're actually cool hotels you want to stay in. And it's so easy. It's three taps, one swipe. We're talking 10 seconds total. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by my friend Kevin Clark. Kevin, two weeks in, and uh, I don't know, I'm still just as clueless as I was a week ago. <laughs> I am not clueless because I knew there'd be a Jim Caldwell renaissance. Yeah, exactly, right? The Jim Caldwell was going to have a renaissance. The uh, the Chargers, who I thought were going to be good, were going to be terrible. The Broncos, they're just beating up people, like including the Cowboys. We'll get into all of that. Do you really want to talk about this Giants-Lions game very much? I just think the Giants might not be very good. And I Horrendous. thought that coming into the season, and their offense is as bad as I thought it was I going to be. I liked both of these teams. I talked both of these teams up in the summer months. I really, I was actually very high on the Lions at one point, but I didn't pick them to make the playoffs. But I, I feel good about where they're going. I, I Just the Giants, man. I mean, that what the hell? Ben McAdoo throwing Eli Manning under the bus. I, I understand that Eli Manning played poorly yesterday, and it probably was his fault, but that's a bad enemy to pick when you're Ben freaking McAdoo. Well, to get into all this stuff, we've had a day to let Wink 2 soak in, so a lot of stuff we'll be able to ruminate about. As always, we come to you on Tuesdays and Fridays. Danny Kelly is going to be joining us today to talk about some things you may not have noticed this weekend. But before we get into all of that, we're going to kick things off with our four downs, which is our four biggest stories from Week 2. All right, Kevin, get us started. Here we go. First and 10. What you got? The biggest thing for me in the early season now, there's two concurrent things that, that I both believe to be true. Number one is that everyone is going to start slow now because of the lack of practice time in the training camp and just the collective bargaining agreement and the reality we live in now. Everybody says every single September and even early October, why are the Seahawks starting so slow? Why, why do the Packers, why, do their, why does their offense look disjointed? And the reason is because the smartest teams in the NFL, and, and there are two teams I just mentioned, and you can maybe throw in the Patriots a little bit some of the time, a lot of times those teams use September as an experimental time because they know you haven't practiced enough to have a cohesive offense. You need to peak in November and December. And so the biggest thing for me, I remember Bill Belichick saying that in the modern NFL, you really don't have your roster set until October. There's so much roster churn. Um, you can do it. You, you know, there are so many guys in the street now. Um, it's just, and the, and the expanded practice squads make everything a little different as well. You get a little different evaluation standpoint. So I think the biggest thing now in September, and it's a reality we have to, realize 
is that you cannot overreact to this because the smart teams know what they're doing. We have to reserve judgment because the CBA limits, what, 14 padded practices per year. These guys are not getting the, the, the reps they need to. And so teams are easing into it. 20 points per game through the first 30 games of the year. That's down, I think, four points per game overall from last year. Don't overreact to this. Teams, the, the, the teams know what they're doing. I think there's a real problem with the, the level of play in the NFL, but I think it's a little different than points per game and, and good teams losing early. I think it's, it's more, the level of play argument is a little bit more about the short passes, um, obviously the sacks, the, the lack of offensive line, that, that sort of thing. But as far as just teams competing early on in the season, I think you got to withhold judgment because these teams know what they're doing. I think that's a really good point. You're talking about the symptoms more than necessarily the full-fledged disease because last year we had the same conversation. Remember how desperately we needed that Cowboys-Steelers game? It saved our souls in a way after the early part of the year. And it seems like we're heading toward a similar deal. You know, we The level of play is not very good. There's not a lot of teams scoring. I think that it's going to get better, but you talking about some of the specifics and how those might not, I, I'll, I could listen to that. So... The CBA part is really interesting, and I think that it's one of the reasons that some of the offensive line stuff has still stuck out to me because it's just about all the turnover. And if you think about how much musical offensive line play there was this offseason, it was really just teams trading their crap for other teams' crap. Like Matt Khalil going to Carolina, all the, those two guys going to Minnesota, and Russell Kuhn heading to San Diego from Denver. I mean, it's just all these guys going back and forth and back and forth. And it feels like it was a zero sum game. And I think that's why, even if it's going to look better later, it's why it's looking so poor now, because there's so much turnover. Guys haven't been able to get used to each other. And I totally agree with you on that. And I feel like that's where I want to go with my second down point here. That's why what's happening in AFC West right now is so impressive because those three teams, and I'll throw the chargers out for now, even though I think they'll be fine. You know, they're not a bad team. The three teams that are playing well, the three three and O teams in that division, there are a couple instances where we have inner you know inner house changes. You know the guys that are moving into new roles. That's how they were going to get better. But what the Broncos have done with all those new offensive linemen, with all the new coordinators, the coaching staff, the fact that they've been able to come in and hit the ground running again is one of the more maybe the more impressive, most impressive thing in the league to me right now, just because. There is such a high bar to do that based on the lack of time these teams have to come together. Right. With Oakland and Kansas City, it feels like there were pieces that fell into place for them. They're getting better play. Alex Smith is pushing the ball down the field. They're, their offense is finding a couple places. Kareem Hunt was a nice addition. In Oakland, you have these very not uh, Marshall Lynch is not subtle, but it's not a huge change. It's kind of an injection of something. Cordero Patterson is that way. They have a couple new guys on defense. But what the Broncos have been able to do and just hit the ground running with all of this new stuff in play is very impressive to me. And I think that that division is the best in the league right now. It's comfortably so. I wrote that this week. I just didn't know it would be because the Broncos would be such a formidable team this early. Do you see three teams in the AFC West making the playoffs? Right now, it'd be hard not to say that. I just don't think the secondary teams in those other divisions are going to step up and do that. I mean, think about... Everywhere else in the AFC South, we assumed Houston might be there. They're not. I mean, they are just not a good team. And then you look at the AFC North and the Bengals are a disaster. The Browns are going to be bad. The Ravens are 2-0, and but who knows about the Ravens? I mean, Marshall Yana just got hurt. They haven't played any, any good teams. They beat up on Cleveland and Cincinnati, who might be two of the worst teams in the league right now. So it just doesn't seem like there's any good secondary candidates outside of that division. It's interesting to me. I think that having a lot of young guys 
is is a good sign that you're going to start really slow in September, October. I talked to Mike McCarthy about this really mm-hmm. the last two summers, just as far as working those guys in that that's usually, you know, the Seahawks have so many young guys always, they're always roster churning. I think, you know, basically no one makes more transactions in the NFL um, you know, over the last seven years than Pete Carroll. And so he loves the undrafted free agents. And that's maybe why these, these teams start slow. What's interesting to me is that in Kansas City, you have a rookie, Kareem Hunt, and he's hit the ground running. I mean, they, Ty Hill is only in his second year. And so it's really interesting to me that the Chiefs are able to do this, even though Alex Smith is a veteran, even though that offensive line is generally a, a veteran line and, and the defense is, is veteran, they're still working some parts in and they still look good. And that's what's impressing me if we're, if we're going to tie that into the collective bargaining thing, because I really do think you can't overstate that in the first couple of weeks of the season, the influence that that has. I agree with you. And I think that, but even in Denver, they're not necessarily young guys, but yeah. they're new guys. Yeah. And just the fact that Mike McCoy, I know he's worked with a couple of these guys previously. Love, I mean, love the Mike McCoy renaissance. I mean, he's Mike he McCoy and Jim Caldwell job. are our two greatest minds right now. Well, Mike McCoy, I mean, he got his job based on just tearing teams apart, but it was with Peyton Manning. I mean, that's always tough. And then he yeah. comes in. I watched that game again this morning and Man, it was just so impressive. I mean, they all the understanding to run those kind of whip routes, they like the stop and goes that were making the Cowboys defenders fall over. You really need to know it's going to be man. I mean, that's how you defeat those. And his understanding of situation and how to create space for his guys, it was really impressive. And I know Dallas was playing without a couple corners, but I still think he's done an excellent job. And I didn't give that enough credit when I was thinking about how good could this team be. The fact that he was going to consistently put Trevor Simeon and Pretty, some pretty good receivers, a CJ Anderson renaissance, Jamal Charles look good. They just, they've impressed me in a big way in pretty much every single way. Does my picking the Broncos make the playoffs make up for my short of the Chiefs? Because it was pretty, yeah. we, we, yeah. I, I, I feel bad about shorting the Chiefs. Well, I did. I shorted the Chiefs, and I'd pick the Broncos to be bad. So I think that you're definitely in a better spot than I am. Well, I can say okay. that. I mean, I just, I, I, I should have felt that coming. I met with Brett Feach. In August, obviously, I you know I, I've I, I've met with John Dorsey many times, and I was so impressed, and I thought there would be a subtraction by subtraction kind of thing uh, when when Dorsey left, and and you lose Macklin and all that. But I I don't know, I, I I should have felt that coming, and and I didn't. I'm disappointed in myself for for not seeing the Chiefs and their talent. I'm di- I'm disappointed in myself for that and for Denver. All right, buddy, what's there down here? The New England Patriots. This is another two sided thing. Number one, I'm worried about the offensive depth. That's obvious. You lose Edelman for the year. Malcolm Mitchell is out. Danny Amendola has a concussion. Rob Gronkowski injured his groin. And he, obviously he has the back. So you're getting into a situation where Philip Dorsett is a featured player. He's, he's, he's doing the picks on the pick route. He's catching passes. Brady looks like he's trying to get the trust going between him and Dorsett. There are not a lot of guys who are just walking around now free. I mean, you're not going to be able to sign a guy who's going to be an impact player. They gave away Austin Carr to New Orleans off the the practice squad, who I think everybody in New England liked. And so I don't know where the Patriots offense goes from here. Having said that, is that a fatal flaw for you? Because it's not for me. I'm worried about them from the macro sense, but I still think they're going to, you know, they're going to start the season six and two and, and, and win the, win the AFC East and they could still win the Super Bowl. They just need to get one or two of these guys healthy. If Malcolm Mitchell comes back, if Danny Amendola comes back, if Gronk is 75%, they're going to be fine. I think the Patriots are a deeply flawed team, but I think in a league of flaws, they're doing okay. 
Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I feel like Gronk is the biggest question there, obviously. I mean, we, we've seen them succeed without him, but that we've seen them succeed with Edelman, you know, a couple other guys. I feel like middle of the field passing options, especially if Amadola is going to be gone for a while, that's a concern. I like what you can, they can do with the backs and the fact that you can use White and Burkhead in these creative ways. You can give yourself some easy outlets. James White I think rules, there's enough there. man. There's enough stuff there that doesn't worry me. I, it's always shitty to see Gronk get hurt and to think about what they have to be like without him and all that stuff. It kind of seems like it's the, our constant environment now. It's just the way we exist. So I don't, I'd like him to come back. I hope that's not serious, but even if he is dinged up, he's dinged up most of the time that they're able to not only survive, but thrive while he's hurt. And even if he is, I think they will be totally okay. I mean, I just think that there are so many guys, even outside of the receivers. I understand your concern, but I feel like there are just enough options there. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, just what that provides teams. I think they have enough guys in every area of the field to be okay. I, I, my, my, my concern is just Brady is one of these guys like Rogers. You, he really has to trust a guy to throw the ball to him. And it takes a while. And so I, you know, the, the deeper you get on that depth chart, the, the, the more uh, hesitant maybe the offense will look. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens there. Again, the Patriots are going to fly to the AFC title. I mean, I, there's no, I said we'd overreact either way after the Chiefs game. If, if, you know, if they struggled, they would be, um, they would, you know, it'd be, oh, it's crisis time in New England. And, and, and if they won by 16 points, which they did, we, we'd be saying they were back. I think they're actually, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, they're, they're, they have the Texans this week. They're going to absolutely destroy the Texans. And they have a Panthers team who, who apparently can't score. So I think, you know, you're looking at three and one. I'm going to go on the flip side of that game for fourth down here. I think the Saints were we were looking at the end of an era. I mean, I know it's two games in, but it, nothing feels what era? like the seven and nine era. Because that I mean, looks Sean pretty Payton good. Has been there for a decade. Yeah. I mean, it's have a coach and quarterback be connected well, to the hip like that for so long. Yeah. It's we don't see it there often. And I think one of the reasons that we have is because that formula makes sense to me. It, it always has. Let's have a top five offense every single year and let's see if we can get the defense. The, I understand that if you're building a team, especially when you have a quarterback like Drew Brees. And it looks like I know it's only two games in. They do have a lot of young guys, but you're zero two already. And if you don't find that defense, the offense cannot take a step back. It, you cannot afford it whatsoever. And this offense does not look like it's tearing people apart. I mean, the, that Patriots team got wrecked by the Chiefs. And the Saints did not move the ball at will. I mean, it's not as if they marched up and down the field. And if your defense is going to play like that, the offense has to be one of the best in football. And if we get here again, if it's 6-10, and 7-9, if the defense finishes 30th in DVOA and the offense is you know the bottom of the top 10 even, I mean, I think this is over. I think Sean Payton has gone after this year. They have the contract situation with Breeze where it voids after the season. Ton of dead money. So now you're looking at $18 million of the dead money for your quarterback if you let him go. You don't have a head coach. Pretty much everything about how you identified as a franchise for 11 years is gone. And you're not necessarily in the best salary cap spot. They're going to have more money because Breeze isn't making actual market value. It's just like a big albatross sitting there. But it still is one of those things where... I can't imagine what this team is going to look like next year if Drew Brees and Sean Payton are not there. It's so weird to consider it. So I think Brees is gone. I don't know about Sean Payton. Sean Payton signed, I think, a $45 million extension in, I want to say, 2016. And so I don't know what the the, the money money situation there is and whether or not another team is going to say, we'll, we'll pay Sean Payton that much. Because, 
I mean, Sean Payton, very slowly, we didn't notice, turned into Jeff Fisher. I mean, it's just as far as kind of a ghost ship, tre- you know, treading towards yeah, seven and a nine. A different sort of ghost ship. He's the offensive Jeff Fisher, right? It's, it's a faster, shinier ghost ship, but it's still his one, yes. <laughs> uh, Drew Brees, where is he playing next year? I don't know. Because it's a great question. Because if they go seven and nine, by the way, if they go seven and nine or six and ten, where Drew Brees is playing next year is as intriguing as any question next year. The actual answer is I don't know. Tell me. I don't know what the actual answer is, but I think the one that makes the most sense to me is Jacksonville. Hmm. You draft a quarterback, you have Drew Brees come in. I mean, that team is not that far away from being relevant. And I think that he would go a long way to do that. I'm not sure if you want to build your team that way, but just in terms of what quarterback needs or what team needs a quarterback dropped into whatever they're doing, that's the first team that comes to mind for me. So I think there's two ways to look at this. You can see that never play in Jacksonville Jag- ever. Well, the Jaguars <laughs> are going to, they're trying to build a team. They're going to be mm-hmm. cognizant of the salary cap of all that stuff. I'm predicting like a one-year, $22 million offer from the New York Jets. Just a total overpay oh my that God. everyone knows is a disaster. That's, that sounds awful, though. I mean, could you imagine him being... If you were Drew Brees, why the hell would you do that? Because it's a one-year, $22 million offer that I just fake offered Drew Brees. Oh, God, that sounds horrendous. Why yeah, the what, Jags are pretty much we're we're done kicking the can down the road here. Yeah, fourteen point four million in cap space next year, and I mean that's with Bortles is nineteen million on there. Which God, just even looking at that is horrendous. This but, yeah. is that's fifth year option. Yes, great stuff. Glad they picked yeah. that up. Yes, yeah, excellent. I mean, you could get rid of that, but it still is one of those things where yeesh. Uh, just looking at it is terrible. It's not good. It's not All good. Right, buddy. Uh, each Tuesday, you and I are going to do our own short segment where we point some things out, you know, in a way that each and I look, you and I look at them, which is very different ways. So this one is right up your alley. It is Kevin's craziest headline from the weekend. Go nuts. This is everyone. I singled out Sports Illustrated last week. I'm going to single out every single media outlet. I just Googled it real quick. USA Today. Is the Cowboys offense in trouble? Can we stop? Can we? Uh, and, and this goes to. You know, again, the Seahawks scored 12 points against a fairly okay Niners defense. There are a lot. The, the Green Bay Packers have looked weird in the first two weeks of the season. <laughs> I just love how you said that. I don't disagree at all. It just was really funny. I just don't. I'm, they looked weird. They look. Everything looks weird. It's kind of weird, man. No, I get it. And it That's the though, adjective. So, 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 so my, my general thought on the Cowboys is they're in the same boat as everybody else. However... We talked about this last week. There are very, very, very few things we know in the NFL that are as predictable as what the Cowboys offense will look like over 16 games this year. Offensive line is fine. The running game is fine. Dak Prescott off of play action is going to be fine, and the, the skill position players are going to be fine. We know almost everything, and I, aside from Tom Brady figuring out new receivers or Aaron Rodgers you know, doing Aaron Rodgers things, I mean, we know what this offense will look like in week six. And so this idea they have one bad game against a really good Denver defense on the road in a lightning delay. You know, the Ezekiel Elliott, you know, quitting on interception thing. I I think that is a a big deal. And I think that hopefully there's some 
there's some fire that gets lit under him that that doesn't happen again. But overall, just as far as what the offense looks like, I am not worried. Stop overreacting. It's September 19th. I agree with you, and I think that it actually fits into what my segment is that we're going to do every week, and it's my ringer of the week, which is a guy that you may not have noticed that didn't necessarily fill up the stat sheet but affected the game in a really big way. And the guy I want to point to is Shaq Barrett on the Broncos. And you talking about how good that Denver defense is. We talk about this with the Seahawks. I think you and I did on a podcast before the season. How the reason they're able to sustain this level of greatness is that it seems like every single year a new guy becomes a star that we didn't expect. It's just the shuffling of who the most important players on your unit are while having no weaknesses. And it seems like Denver does that now, too. You know, Derek Wolf had a big season last year. Now you have... Every corner, you know, Courtney, when Roby got really good, you know, I just call him Courtney Roby. His name is Bradley Roby. Courtney Roby was the guy that played like 10 years ago. It's just one of those ones I always screw up. But it's every single, it's like a step back and a step forward. You know, some guy steps up when guys take these marginal steps back. And that's how you stay really good. And Shaq Barrett has done such a great job this year in the first two games. And he didn't even expect to be the starter. You know, when we were thinking about yeah. how are they going to replace Shane Ray, it was, or how are they going to replace Marcus Ware, it was with Shane Ray. And Barrett has come in across from Von Miller and just done everything they've asked of him. He was excellent on Sunday. And the things that were most impressive were twofold to me. One, he was able to make noise as a pass rusher against Tyron Smith. You know, most, a lot of his damage came on stunts, which has its own little skill set that you need to be good at, just change of direction and timing and patience. And he was excellent at all of that and bothered. Prescott a lot more than you again you would read he didn't have a sack and he get one hit but he was around his feet a lot but he also beat Smith just straight up a couple times and that mm-hmm. was impressive to me and the other thing is that against this Dallas offense you really need a right edge player who's going to be disciplined mm-hmm. because if they want what they want to do when they're not able to just line up and beat you up is use the numbers use deception create some problems with Prescott as a ball carrier to give himself an advantage and Barrett's ability, not only to play those downs with great leverage and patience and just in a smart way, he was able to make plays on some of those, which is so impressive to do. So few guys can time it up just right where you make the quarterback, make the wrong decision. And that can also make the tackle a yard off the line of scrimmage. Barrett did that a lot. He finished the game with seven tackles. I, I just think that that is a real testament to how seamless their coaching transition has been from Phillips to Woods now. The fact that that unit is not only playing very well, but getting the most out of secondary players. Vance Jones is a pretty damn good coach. Yeah. I mean, that is, I really am impressed. I got, they have done a great job and I am more than willing to admit how wrong I was. They've, they've blown out way all of my expectations on both sides of the ball. And this is the reason for that. It's not about Von Miller being good. He's going to be good. It's can you continue to find contributors on the second tier of your defense to really make up for any of the small steps back you're always going to take year to year. And so far, it looks like they've been able to do that. I I hate to beat a dead horse here, but it doesn't take much to be a great unit in the NFL on on certain sides of the ball this this year because, again, the league is a little thin right now. So Mm -hmm. if you have a good defensive line, as they do, and you have... A good secondary, which they do. I know they lost T.J. Ward, but T.J. Ward was bad. You're going to be a great defense. That's how this works. And so I, I, that's sort of why I picked the Broncos to make the playoffs. Is just they have a lot of defensive talent. Now, having said that, so do the Giants. But, you know, I don't know what's going on with Norris Jenkins. And also the team sucks. 
But see, that's what I was saying about the Broncos coming into the year. I expect them to be a top five defense. I just thought the offense would be actively bad. And, and to see them mm. be, you know, this defense and continue to be that, and then the offense kind of beat people up for two straight weeks, that is the recipe to a very good team. And I just didn't expect the second half of that to be a reality. Trevor Simeon looks uh, no closer to being uh, looking like an NFL quarterback than he did last year. Can he do can he like do something with his hair or something? <laughs> I thought you meant his play. And I was like, I don't know. He's no, no, good. no. I don't care about his play. I don't care. I just legitimately so I true. saw him. I saw him on yeah. on we Van Pelt talked to him uh during halftime yesterday, and it just looked it he looked ridiculous. Uh, I mean, even Andy Dalton funny. did that weird mohawk thing. Yeah, that was the renaissance. That was when Andy Dalton got good for that one year as everyone contributed so to the I, hair. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I, I don't, 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 I think Trevor Simeon's a fine NFL quarterback. I don't, you know, whatever. He, I just, he's he done just, a really good job running needs, that he's offense. He's not looking anything less like Ed Helms than he was last year. I almost have gotten to the point. I watched that game again. I watched the Broncos game again this morning and I watched Garrett Bowles a lot for the game just to see how well he played and how, how big of a loss it is for them. The he's fact only that had they a couple weeks, sex, right? That's big. I hope high, so. Because high ankle sprain. He looked great. Yeah. I mean, just it's not a great pass rush. And I feel like Demarcus Lawrence roasted Melvin Watson a few times. That's going to be a problem. I think Lawrence is a better player than people are going to give credit to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Watson is not a great right tackle. But Bowles was he just looks comfortable. He looked really good. They've been able to really rebuild that offense on a fly, especially up front. And Simeon's able to run it. I mean, he, a lot of play action seems comfortable doing it. His best throw of the day was one to Benny Fowler near the goal line. That was just out of bounds. It was like a cannon shot. I was like, wow. Did not expect to see that. And again, stuff that doesn't show up, but he looked good. And that entire offense looked good. All right, bud. Uh, the Ringer's own Danny Kelly is going to be joining us next. He's taking a look at the tape. He's got some revelations that he wants to share with us. Always fun to check in on football with Danny Kelly nerd out a little bit. Also, some things from week two that are leaving a lasting impression on Robert and I. We'll get back to that after a quick break. Buying tickets to sporting events and concerts can be complicated and annoying, but there's a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. Here we go again, Robert nerding out on SeatGeek, literally his favorite thing in the entire world. Man, I go to a lot of stuff, and to be able to buy and sell tickets in just two taps matters to me. It's true, and then you get to see your favorite team or musician in person. We're getting to that point where there's like 12 Cubs games left, and it's very close to the division, so every time they're at home, it's like 4 p.m., I'm like, eh, do I want to? It's really a problem. And the nice part is, SeatGeek gets me closer to the action for a great value. Saves me time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available, too. And since Robert is such a huge fan, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code RINGERNFL. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERNFL today. We also want to remind you about MyBookie. Yeah, I don't care who you bet on, but you better be using MyBookie.ag at this point. MyBookie has a rock-solid reputation. They really do. They give you 100% cast bonuses right off the bat, so you're making money for doing nothing. And when you're gambling and you're wondering, when do I get my money, MyBookie pays you in just two business days, so lay down some cash and win big. To prove how much we care about our listeners, go to MyBookie and sign up now. They will match your deposit up to 100% bonus, which is awesome. Visit MyBookie.ag and use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Business owners have enough time without having to wonder, how come I'm not getting sales information on a real-time basis? I know I'm concerned about that, Kevin. (laughs) Or, how did we beat our revenue goal but we lost money? 
That actually doesn't make any sense to me either. And I'm not even a business owner. I am not a business owner either, but to me, it sounds like some of them have outgrown their business management software. QuickBooks and spreadsheets may have worked fine at the start, but there are now too many mistakes, too many delays. At this point, you're better than that. You know it. It's probably time for people to try the number one business management solution for growing companies, NetSuite from Oracle. Yep, NetSuite lets you know what's going on with your business in real time. Revenues, expenses, customers, orders, even your HR. You can run your business from a dashboard on your phone, Kevin. Your phone. Now, I might start a business if you can run it from your phone. It's very millennial. Right up our alley. And with this type of hands-on help, you're up and running fast. That's why thousands of companies across America use NetSuite. It's 10 times larger than its nearest competitor. It's the last business system you will ever need. So go to netsuite.com slash football to get your free guide called Overcoming Your Five Obstacles to Growth. That's netsuite.com slash football to get your free guide. And to find out how NetSuite can simplify your life, go to netsuite.com slash football. Time now to welcome in our good friend, Danny Kelly. Danny sees things that no one else sees every week. Danny, you're a visionary, my friend, and that's why we always appreciate you. It is time to geek out, so I want to know what is on your mind from week two. I'm looking at the Ravens run game this week, you guys. Um, What a weird thing to say. That is not what I expected you to say. (laughs) (laughs) So last year, I mean, the Ravens had one of the worst run games in the NFL. They finished 30th in attempts, just 23 a game. That was a franchise low for them. They led the NFL in passing attempts. They were 28th in rushing yards per game. I mean, they were just a terrible, terrible run team last year. You don't have they to say you don't have to say run team, Danny. Their best offensive weapon was Justin yes. Tucker from 55 <laughs> They're a terrible yards. Team. <laughs> well, I want to make it clear. I love their defense, but God, last, I mean, so last year they just couldn't run the ball at all. And they brought in Greg Roman during the offseason to kind of revamp some things. They switched to, I mean, I don't know what like exactly they switched to, but they're going a little bit more power O heavy, kind of doing the Greg Roman thing. And through two games, they look really, really good. I mean, they're second in attempts, just 37 per game. They're fourth in rush yards. I mean, they are just, they're, they're dominating on the ground. And so I'm wondering, you know, last year they they weren't going to win on just their defense alone. And, you know, you guys, I know how you guys probably feel about Joe Flacco, but if they have a run game, if they have a dominant run game, this to me makes them almost a Super Bowl contender because that defense is so good. I have a couple concerns about this. One, they didn't exactly play, you know, <laughs> last year's Giants in right, terms right, of run right. defense the first couple mm-hmm. games. Uh, Cleveland is not built necessarily to stop people up front in that way. I think that they'll be able to rush the passer when everyone's healthy eventually, but it's not surprising to me that a team could push them around on the ground. Two, no Marshall Yonda is a problem. Yeah. Huge problem. I mean, he. I, I wrote about this this week. I, I tweeted about it. He's a Hall of Fame player, in my opinion. He's the best player at his position, has been for you know the better part of a decade. It's shitty for football, but also for the Ravens. Like that guy in that locker room is a is a huge deal, and I think that yeah, in that brutal. offense, he's the most important presence. And they're going to miss him, and I'm going to miss watching him. It's it's a shame that a guy at 33 near the tail end, tail end of his career that like maybe one or two All Pro teams away from making Canton eventually loses an entire season. It's a real bummer. So. It's interesting you said they might be a Super Bowl contender. I love some people on the Ravens, individual people. I think Justin Tucker (laughs) is one of the most interesting people in football. I love people all through that facility. Having said that. I thought you were saying I love people. That's new for you, Kevin. You you don't like anybody. (laughs) Having said that, I like Justin Tucker. Having Mm. said that, I would not believe this 
Ravens were a Super Bowl contender if they were on the ground in Minneapolis and an hour from kickoff at the Super Bowl. Like I, that, I'd be like, I don't, I don't buy it, guys. I don't buy it. I know they're here. I know I've been talking to them all week, and they're literally in the stadium ready to play. But this is this is not happening. I mean, I just, I Flacco to me, you know, the the run in 2012 was just incredible, and and I think that he should be commended for, it and it should definitely go on the Mount Rushmore of of getting hot at the right time. Yeah, but I I just think they have too many holes and and the Yonda thing. But I love I love this topic, Danny Kelly. Well, here let me be clear. I'm not saying they are a Super Bowl contender. I'm saying no. You're saying they, they can... are. You're saying that they are the Super Bowl contender. You have them <laughs> written in blood. I'm saying if this run game is for real, and, and I think that Yonda thing is definitely a huge hindrance to that. And, and you know we could see them completely fall off going forward. And Anytime you're in week two, you're talking about week two teams. It's a small sample size. So, you know, you just never really know what anything means this early in the year. But I mean, with a really, really solid run game and a really, I mean, they're an elite defense. Um, I mean, we saw the Broncos win a couple of years ago with that kind of formula. So to me, it's, I'm not saying they are a Super Bowl contender, but if that run game is for real, that gives them a better, a much, much better chance than they were last year in terms of, you know, just having a little bit of balance and, you know, it's still just kind of a wide open field right now, I think, in the AFC. And so, I don't know. Totally it, it just To me, it's an interesting thought. I'm not saying don't put me on record yet, but I'm saying if, if that run game is real, it makes them, to me, sort of an interesting team in the, in the conference. Danny, you know that this goes out to other people, right? <laughs> Damn, I always forget that. We're recording. <laughs> it's a fun conversation with us. I, I, the, what makes me excited about them, just as a, having a, their floor as a team, again, I think the upside is limited just with Yonda, Flacco, everything else on offense. But their defense, they can afford to get hurt in a couple places, which like so few teams in the league you could say that about. Because Marlon Humphrey came in and played decent for, like I don't know, like a dozen snaps maybe on Sunday. So if you lose, say, Brandon Carr, who also played decent, you have guys behind him. They have pass rushing depth. It's just one of those things where their defense is going to be good because there are so few ways that it can go south quickly. And you can't say that about really anybody. Depth is huge, man. That's that's it's a battle of attrition every single year. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not I'm not claiming anything at this point. And obviously everything I feel like we talk about is kind of just up for a lot of different, you know, there's just so many different things that could happen over the next 15, Two 16 weeks. weeks. Yeah. Uh, let's stay <laughs> on the ground, buddy. You also have an article coming out today about young fantasy running backs. Let's chat about that a bit. What, uh, just give me, give me some snippets. What are you thinking about? Yeah. So basically I was looking at some of the, you know, just the fantasy landscape right now. And it's kind of interesting to me that run, rookie running backs, teams are leaning on rookie running backs a lot more than we've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, it, six guys so far have carried the ball 20 times for their team. Last year at this time, there was just one, Ezekiel Elliott. And years before that, I think in 2015, there was four guys that had done it. And then 2014 and 2013, just one each. So teams are really leaning on those rookie running backs this year. I think we're seeing a little bit of a changing of the guard with a lot of teams. I mean, obviously with rookie, uh, with, with Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook, those guys look like kind of franchise cornerstone type running backs. And then you got guys on other teams that are sort of starting to potentially take over. You got P Ryan in Washington with Kelly getting a rib injury. You got Chris Carson in Seattle. You got, um, I mean, I even think Donta Foreman, Deonta Foreman could be. He looks be, better. He looks he, better he, than Miller. Every time he touches the yeah. ball, he looks better. I mean, to we me, see this I mean, every year, but I don't understand why it takes so long. In the same vein, how long was it going to take Kareem Hunt to get in the game if, what's his name, hadn't gotten hurt? Exactly. I mean, that's what Prince I want to know. I mean, yes. How quickly he becomes, what's his name? 
I'm just saying, it's just the, if you watch Kareem Hunt right now, and I've seen Spencer Ware play for a couple of years, Spencer Ware is fine. He's a very useful yeah. NFL running back. Spencer Ware was really going to take away snaps from Kareem Hunt. It was going to happen. It was going to happen probably for like the first six weeks. I know. <laughs> It's so. just beyond me. And I think that Foreman's the same kind of way. I mean, with these running backs, I just think more teams just have to say at the beginning, our second guy is better. He should play. And Carson's the same way, Danny. We saw this last week. I watched Lacey and do whatever he did against Green Bay. And every time yeah. Carson touched the ball, it was like, yo, that dude's just better at football. <laughs> I don't understand I know, right? like, what's going on here. He's just more explosive. And, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Robert, and I actually I, I credited you in the piece because I thought it was a really interesting point you brought up and that it's just you guys with fresh legs and guys with explosiveness and that and you know, like you can actually see it. These guys just look faster than everyone else on the field. I mean, that's just huge. I think this year, especially with so much so many issues on the offensive line everywhere. You just have to have guys that can create on their own. Isn't this kind of grim? Like if, when you yeah, think about it's really the, brutal. When, I was thinking when, the same when thing. you think about the running back position, it's actually kind of a bummer because it almost all the production comes almost in the first two years for the vast majority of the league. Obviously, there's going yeah. to be exceptions. They do the rookie contract and they're basically out of the league. I mean, I they're done. It's awful. Like Alfred Morris getting a second contract to be, you know, a bit player in Dallas is the exception, not the rule. Like the the, the new standard is going to be to star in your first two years and be out of the league in year five. It is. And it, one of those things was kind of shocking watching Denver is how explosive and powerful CJ Anderson looked and like how good Jamal Charles was. It's like that. I just did not expect if you're not 22, it just doesn't seem like you can move like that anymore. Yeah. Both of those guys missed a lot of time. So yeah, it's like, yeah I mean, that's true. Yeah, like I totally agree, Kevin. Like, As I was even saying it, I was thinking that. I was like, man, this is <laughs> really dark. <laughs> it is. And, you know, it's like because yeah. these guys become you know, so expendable. I did a story last year, or excuse me, over the offseason um, about this thing called a split contract, which is essentially where the risk is all put on the player. And if you get hurt, you don't get paid. That is essentially and you get or you get paid a significantly uh, smaller amount than if you stayed healthy. It's It's a horrendous thing that the NFL does. And a lot of those guys are running backs you've heard of, like Ronnie Hillman had to sign one last year and and the year before that, because running backs are just they are the most um, I don't know how to say it. They are they have they have the least leverage in a sport in which no one has leverage. And it's it's kind of a bummer to watch. Yeah. I mean, think about even guys. Le'Veon Bell was on. It hasn't gotten an extension. I mean, the fact that he's on the franchise tag and what he is every every single year. The fact that David Johnson is going to miss this season and it's going to be, I believe, going into a contract year next year, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's all that stuff. I mean, it just no matter how good you are, no matter what you can provide to your team, there's still such a limited market for you because of we've reached the, the injuries, point, everything. We've reached the point and this never happens. We have reached the point where Le'Veon Bell signing an extension with the Steelers is almost not the right move as far as from the Steelers standpoint. Just because of the way yeah. running backs age, and it's 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 and the, the way the game has changed, it's 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 not a good place to be a running back. I mean, yeah. we talk about the, we talk about the thirty, like the age of thirty cutoff for a lot of players. Like for running backs, it's twenty seven at the most. Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. after your rookie contract is over. I mean, that's yeah. where we're sitting. It's that first deal is when you're going to be able to be a super effective player. And 
again, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, I'm not saying it's over for them. <laughs> no. They're both very good. But you're seeing it already. It the fact be. that his, the Bell's, I mean, I hope not. I'm just, I think that's I'm just more of a saying, hopeful statement Unfortunately, it might be. Like, that's the way things are happening. Uh, all right, Danny. Thanks for really bumming us Sorry, out here on Tuesday morning. I really appreciate it. <laughs> that wasn't my goal, but man, hey, what's I'm up like with really the Seahawks? When do they become a competent team <laughs> and win the Super Bowl? Oh, usually around like November. Hey, do you I have? I, I keep asking people inside the NFL, and you know more about the Seahawks than people inside the NFL. Why? Why don't they peak until November? What is the actual tangible reason? <laughs> I think it's because they actually like hold their cards pretty close to the chest. I, I, like, I actually think that's that too. Pete Carroll's talked about that, how you don't win games until the fourth quarter. And I think he right. also believes you don't win seasons until November or December. I mean, it helps that your division Sunday. is garbage. That's the New England thing too. It's true. We saw it so, on Sunday. I mean, they didn't start running Russell Wilson until the fourth quarter when they were down, you know, like they needed to score desperately in order to win. That's when they started breaking out the Russell Wilson runs. And so it's weird. They just, I, I think they... They don't want people to see too much. Like they don't want people to see their cards until like they absolutely have to do, use do them. Do you know so. what they've been hiding from the world? Their offensive <laughs> line is the best in football. Yep. <laughs> the greatest yeah. trick Tom Cable yeah. ever pulled. <laughs> it's going to be elite come January. Uh, all right, Danny. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we will be back with you on Friday. We always appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good, guys. All right, Kevin, before we get out of here, we want to offer our lasting impressions from week two. These are things that are going to stick with us as we move forward all week. The stuff that I just can't really get out of my head. Uh, let, why don't you go for, with yours first? The NFL is a problem, and it's a watchability problem. If everyone thinks the game is ugly, then it's ugly. And no amount of data about yards per attempt or completion percentage is going to change that. Essentially what happens, and I have a story on the ringer.com about this on Tuesday. It's up now. Essentially what's happening is that all of these quarterbacks who have been trained in seven on sevens are, are vaguely competent and can do whatever is asked to them of them to an extent. And what that means is wide receiver screens, bubble screens, throwing four yards down the field, all the things we're seeing every Sunday. They don't want to make mistakes because of the media environment, because of the way uh, football is developed. It's better to, as Chris Sims told me, live to play another down than chuck it down the field. It is a check down league almost and it is discouraging to watch and it's going to be a huge problem i think that the nfl is going to realize in the next 10 to 15 years that the sports world to to borrow a cliche is flat and that a millennial can pick up a phone and watch Lionel messi or watch neymar or watch steph curry in the same way that they used to be able to throw on a network tv and only see football they're going to lose that advantage as as tv becomes less and less important and they have to find a way to become visually arresting because they are not that right now there are massive overstatements being said about the watchability of the league it's not dying it's not the ratings are only you know the, the ratings are a problem but they're not in crisis mode the nba would kill for the nfl's ratings on a week-to-week basis and especially games like the NFC championship game, which got 46 million viewers last year. That's incredible. Having said that, going forward, it's going to be a problem. They have to figure out a way to make this game look more fun, because if not, it's not going to be a pretty future. And piggybacking off that, my point was just kind of in that scope and with that reality hanging over us, the offenses around the league right now that have been able to utilize every single piece they have in creative, efficient ways stick out more than they have to me ever before. I'm thinking about a couple different teams from this past week. 
We've mentioned Denver a few times. They're in there in a way I never thought they would be, but understanding what Emmanuel Sanders is good at, how to get the ball in C.J. Anderson's hands, Mm -hmm. using your entire roster and your entire depth chart, not only doing it out of obligation, we see that all the time. Teams have gadget players that use gadget plays, not within the rhythm of what they want to do offensively, and that doesn't work. But understanding how to implement all of those pieces within the flow of who you want to be as a team. Watching the Raiders do that, even against the Jets, is so beautiful, and that is very rare right now. There isn't much beautiful football, but to see Jalen Richard and Correll Patterson, even DeAndre Washington, just understand who they're supposed to be within that system, how they play off of Marshawn Lynch, what they are and what he is, and especially what they are not. And that is how offensive coaches have to approach what they want to do right now. Who am I and who am I not? I know what Michael Crabtree can do, and that's when I get near the goal line and he's single covered. I'm throwing it to him and I don't care. Not every player can do that. And understanding how to put your pieces in spots to succeed is something that not enough coaches understand right now. Tennessee did the same thing this week. Taewon Taylor catching a long pass. Jonu Smith running a tight end screen in for a touchdown. Having having Derrick Henry as a secondary back that you can lean on for 14 carries a game. Having these deep excellent stables of skill position players matters, but knowing how to use them and knowing how to use them in relation to the rest of your roster does as well. You can sign Brandon Marshall. You can draft Evan Ingram in the first round. It doesn't matter if you don't get the way they fit into who you are and what your identity is as a team. And the teams that do that, they're going to stick out like you can never imagine. They are going to be the thing you remember and the highlights and everything else that people are trying to do talk about with saving this game and making it watchable again because those teams are just fewer and further between than I can ever remember. I have some good news, Robert. What's up, buddy? This, we have a watchability crisis in the NFL. Colts Brown Sunday. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm very ready. Oh, that's the one game I had circled on my calendar. Brissette, Kaiser. Let's do it. Pagano. Hugh Jackson. Uh, I still feel okay about the Kevin Browns. Kevin Hogan getting 15 snaps in the middle of the game. Oh, God. All right. That's it for today. We'll be back on Friday to get you all set for pretty much just Browns. What, what was that? Browns Colts. We'll, Browns be, we'll Colts. be reviewing uh, Niners Rams. Oh, gosh. That, yeah. that, we'll be talking about how the NFL's watchability crisis is over after that horse shit game. It's going to be a good one. As always, thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now.